Uh, the reading's taken from John chapter 1, verses 6 to 8 and 19 to 28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to that light. From verse 19. John the Baptist denies being the Messiah. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees, who had been sent, questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ian. Ian's uh, just going to stay around just for a few moments. I just want to say a few words about uh, Ian. He d doesn't want any fuss, I know. But it just so happens that uh, Ian is standing down from our youth ministry after 40 years, yes, 4-0, four years of serving in our youth ministry. Uh, Mary and Ian uh, joined us from Zambia way back in 1979. And uh, fairly soon after that, along with Martin Brown, they set up uh, a, seek, a group called Seekers, and uh, that gradually grew and grew. They, were, had, uh, they had about 50 youngsters coming along for an hour of worship and prayer and study, followed by all sorts of chaos in the, uh, in the parish hall. And then later on, um, Ian, you led Seekers, didn't you, for 10 years as Martin moved on to another group. And so many young people have been influenced by Ian's ministry over the years. And as he uh, wrote to me earlier in this week, it's an encouragement to me that we still count some of those youngsters and their families as current members of our congregation. God is good. I have been blessed by seeing young people commit their lives to Christ and their children too in due course over the last 40 years. In recent times, serving alongside Diane and Gary and others through the youth work here 
um, through the messy church involvement, through Friday drop-in, Tuesday drop-in, all sorts of different things. But uh, it's felt the right time to draw back from that. But we're just so grateful for your, your faithfulness, uh, Ian, and your ministry over those 40 years and all that you and Mary bring to the life of Christ Church as well. So just wanted to say thank you to you for that. And as we look at John the Baptist this morning, maybe we'll see a hint of Ian in some of these things as well that we reflect on, but also a hint of each of us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity this morning on this third Sunday of Advent, just to reflect on one of those characters who intrigues us. As we think of his life, may you speak words into our own. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral service where a person who's died has been described as one of life's eccentrics, just maybe. Someone whose lifestyle or worldview or dress sense or any number of things is just that slightly bit different, doesn't quite fit the mould. Perhaps, as you hear that phrase, one of life's eccentrics, there's someone you think of immediately who fits that particular mould. I guess most of the prophets of the Old Testament would fit that phrase, and John the Baptist in the New Testament certainly would as well. His camel hair coat may not have received many plaudits on the catwalk. His diet of locusts and wild honey may not quite tickle your taste buds. And his message was pretty tough to swallow for most who heard it. His demise, of course, was rather unfortunate. His decapitated head served up on a dinner plate to appease the king's wife. But by dismissing him as an eccentric, we miss out on the essence of a man who was called by God to prepare the way of the Lord. He's portrayed in Hollywood, isn't he, as a sort of wild, rugged-looking individual. But actually, underneath all that external stuff, we find a man of simplicity, of boldness, and of great humility. As we read John 1, it um, sort of goes backwards and forwards somewhat between the description of Jesus the Word made flesh, description of Jesus, divine, to John the Baptist in his humanity and back again. And as we look at John the Baptist, we find that he's got that sort of every man, every woman sort of quality about him. It's easy, isn't it, to put these sort of Bible heroes on some sort of pedestal. But actually, there's so much we can learn from them for our own lives and witness. Three things I want to pick up this morning. Simplicity, humility, and boldness. Simplicity. John the Baptist simply did what God had told him to do. He pointed people to Jesus. He didn't care what other people thought of him because he was secure in his own identity 
as a child of God. And he lived out his call, no more, no less. And so in verse 7 we read, he came as a witness to testify concerning the light. That was his life's calling, simple really. A witness to testify concerning the light. That simplicity expressed itself in obedience. Now obedience isn't the most popular word just at the moment in our lexicon. Obeying the government coronavirus restrictions, we're quite keen, or some of us anyway, I'm not speaking for everyone here, keen to interpret them in a way that works for us. We're getting a bit weary of doing as we're told. Or maybe uh, obedience to parents, obedience to leaders. It all sounds like hard work and rather restrictive. Yet John the Baptist models obedience to the one who's called him and simply refuses to compromise in that obedience. And so he shows a simplicity of approach and a direct but simple message, calling people to repent and pointing people to Jesus. He doesn't make things complicated. He just tells it as it is. But he does so, secondly, with humility. It seems, doesn't it, that John is pretty keen to establish who he's not so that people don't over-egg his credentials. So when this uh, crowd of leaders come to him to interrogate him, it's quick to explain in verse 20, I'm not the Messiah. Verse 21, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. You're getting it all wrong if you think I'm someone great like that. Who are you then? A voice calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Picking up on words from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. But he's essentially saying, I'm just doing my job. He's fully aware of both the privilege of his call and his subservience to the man Jesus about to begin his adult ministry on earth and turn the world upside down. And so he's able to say, the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. What humility is contained in that statement? What does he mean by that? Well, a servant or slave would be the one tasked with looking after their master's feet, washing them, caring for them. But even a slave wasn't supposed to take their master's shoes off for them. And John compares himself to a servant or slave, unworthy before the master, but honouring him totally. We see more of that in John's attitude a couple of chapters later. It's not just a one-off phrase that he throws out. If we go on to chapter 3, verse 30, he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. What a marked contrast that is to certain political leaders whose mantra seems to be, I must increase, but others might decrease. He wasn't concerned about popularity or about recognition or about promotion or reputation. He simply wanted to magnify Jesus. Simplicity and humility. But that humility wasn't about fading into a background. It was a humility marked with boldness. And so in verse 20 we heard, 
He did not fail to confess, to speak out. He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely. And as we read more widely, we see him boldly proclaiming this message, this tough but simple message, a call for people to repent as he baptized people in the River Jordan. He didn't shirk an opportunity because of his security in his calling. And so bridging the cultural and the geographic and the time distance gap from first century Bethany to today, what might we learn? Or maybe there's a question to throw out. Are we being the people whom God has called us to be? No more, no less. Living our lives with simplicity and humility and boldness. We're not called to a life of camel hair coats and locust diets, although feel free if that's your want. But our call is the same as John the Baptist. Simple obedience humble service, bold proclamation of the gospel, pointing others to Jesus. And I think Ian actually, amongst many others, exemplifies that. How these things are expressed will be different for each one of us, but surely they should be key features of our lives as followers of Christ. They should also be key features of the life of a church, the church gathered and scattered. As we seek to be a witness to the light, we are called to confess freely. Last week, the new Archbishop of York shared a vision for the Church of England in the 2020s. You know, one of these fancy documents with lots of nice pictures like this one. At its heart, is a call for the church to be simpler, humbler, and bolder. Those were three words that were used. Now, it didn't make any headlines beyond the church press. I don't know if anyone knew that this uh, statement had been released. There's a few shaky of heads. And it's not surprising, really, is it? Because it's actually all about the church doing what it's been told to do for the last 2,000 years. It's not a great newspaper headline. Church commits to doing what it's supposed to be doing. But it echoes the life and ministry of John the Baptist and it reflects how God would have us be. Simpler, humbler, bolder. We're coming towards the end of what for many as individuals, as Uh, many in our church, in our community, in our country, in our world, has been rather depressing and challenging. So maybe there's two questions to reflect on as individuals and as a church community at this time. Have we sought to be the people God has called us to be? And have we pointed others to Jesus? Simply, humbly and boldly. We won't always have got it right, but if we have any confidence at all in the gospel we proclaim, these three features must surely be expressed. And as we reflect back on this year, they're not bad questions to ask about 2021 as well. 
Will we be people? The people God has called us to be. Will we point others to Jesus? Will our mantra be, he must increase, but I must decrease? Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your call on each of our lives. A call to obedience. A call to simply, humbly and boldly proclaim your truth and live for you day by day. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'll strengthen us to do just that. As we come into this Christmas season, as we head towards the new year. May we seek to put you first. And as we decrease, may you increase. In Jesus' precious name, amen.